Welcome to the Why Carp Why Not podcast. This is episode 38, Working for Free. I'm your host, Yossi Carp, and let's talk about technology, writing, gadgets, gizmos, and the stuff of life that makes it interesting. This week's podcast is proudly sponsored by Dr. Reuven Rosenberg at the Integrative Health Center. Dr. Rosenberg is all about diagnosing problems by looking at your lifestyle, health habits, exercise routine, and nutrition. It's a holistic approach that will leave you feeling on top of the world. But more about Dr. Rosenberg and the Integrative Health Center a bit later. Right now, I want to talk to you about working for free. Ask any economist, and you'll soon find out that many economic models are based on something called the economic man. According to Investopedia, the economic man refers to an idealized human being who acts rationally and with complete knowledge, who seeks to maximize personal utility and satisfaction. In economics, Incentive is the name of the game. Give enough incentive and the right type of incentive, and the economic man would likely take you up on that offer. For example, the economic man would take you up on the two-for-one offer every time because it's rational to buy two tubs of ice cream for $9 instead of an individual tub for $7. But the economic man doesn't actually exist because he acts solely in his economic self-interest without taking into account other factors, such as emotion or freezer space. Here's an example. I once worked at a hotel in Jerusalem. It was a long, long time ago. I was a tourist and I needed a way to earn some money so that I could remain in Israel a bit longer. So using some connections, my grandfather was friends with the hotel owner, I was offered one of two jobs bellboy or working the reception desk. They told me that I could make more money working as a bellboy because the tips could be really good. The economic man would have taken that job because the pay was better and the working conditions were pretty much the same. But I took the job at the reception desk because I wanted to learn how hotels operate and it seemed much more interesting. But still, the economic man is useful for economic modeling because there really isn't another persona that's available that can take into account emotions or other irrational behaviors. For example, the economic man would never work for free. There's no obvious economic incentive to performing tasks for which you'd normally get paid, but without getting paid a dime. But real people in the real world do work for free and they do so more often than you would think. Here in Israel some years ago, they passed a law that companies must pay salaried employees overtime pay. The government recognized that employees need to be compensated for the hours they work for their bosses above and beyond the hours they're actually employed to work. Today, when you don't need to be at your desk to do your job, in fact, many times all you need is your phone, you could find yourself working all sorts of hours outside the office. But employers are too smart. 
They all do the same trick to get out of actually paying you overtime hours, and this has become the norm in every single company. What they do is, they reduce your base pay by a certain percent, and then pay you the difference and call that global overtime hours. So you effectively receive the same salary you negotiated with your company, but you don't actually receive extra pay for working extra hours. But officially, the company records that they did pay you overtime hours. The economic man would never work for free, but this is the real world, not some idealized fantasy island where decisions are based purely on incentives and rationale. There are times when we work for free. In my case, when clients are at threat of being underserved, I put my foot on the gas and make sure everyone is happy. This often involves working nights and weekends if I have to. It's not a direct response to a situation based on my own economic incentives. Rather, it's a reaction based on the company's economic incentives. Happy customers mean more business for my employer. If I'm lucky, I might get something out of it. At the very least, I get to keep my job. There's a really interesting article in Inc. magazine by Amy Moran, author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. She was also interviewed on The James Altucher Show, a podcast which I often listen to, which is how I heard about her in this article. Amy seems to disagree with the work ethic of do what you can to make your customers happy even if you end up working for free. Her article, which I'll link to in the show notes, discusses the only four times that we should work for free. Here's what she said. Number one, work for free when you'll gain legitimate exposure. I actually learned this lesson the hard way. When I ran a business together with my wife, we donated some of our products to raffles, thinking that we'll get some exposure in the community and perhaps get some business out of it. Nope, nothing. The only thing that came out of it was that we now had less inventory. So as Amy says, make sure the exposure you're going to get is worth it for you. Number two, work for free if you'll gain real life experience. We had a student take photos at a family event a couple of years ago. We paid him for his time, but we're sure that the amount of time he spent post-processing the photos and so on was not covered by his fee. He was basically working for free because he wanted to build up his portfolio and test his skills. It was low risk for us, but a big benefit for the student. The photos turned out really well in the end, and the student gained some real-world experience, so it was a win-win. Work for free when you'll gain an impressive addition to your resume. Amy says that being able to say that, for example, you have written for high-profile websites will get you a foot in the door somewhere else. That may be well so, even if you didn't get paid for it. But you have to be careful about this too. You don't want to be taken advantage of. Also, for example, if you're ghostwriting a blog for a company, your name won't appear, so be careful that you can back up your experience with proof that you can cite on your resume. Number four, work for free because it's a cause you believe in. Volunteer work is one time when your payment is not financial but emotional. Giving back to society by volunteering to tutor underprivileged kids or by volunteering in a soup kitchen or whatever is time well spent. It's work, 
it's worked for free. But it's good, even if the economic man would disagree. There's no mention in Amy's list of working for your boss over time without being paid, or going the extra mile to satisfy a customer, even if it encroaches on your personal time. Amy says, if you don't value your time, other people won't either. In fact, if you think about it, working overtime for no pay is effectively taking a pay cut. If you find that you're working overtime regularly, you might want to think about whether you're working harder or smarter. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true that if we look at how we structure our day, we might find that we're not maximizing the time we have, so we end up working overtime. As a writer, I can say for sure that it's really hard to work at maximum capacity for a full day. Writing is mentally taxing. Sometimes I can get in the zone. Listen to episode 30 of this podcast where I discuss this. But I don't always have that opportunity. Emails, phone calls, customer site visits, meetings. And my job is not the only one out there like this. Many information workers face the same issues. So you can look at it from two perspectives. Either you're working for free, taking a pay cut, undervaluing your time, or you're doing what needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. Sometimes you just don't have a choice. But when you do have a choice, think about the first perspective and decide if consistently working overtime is to your benefit or not. Sometimes you just have to think like the economic man. This week's episode is proudly sponsored by Dr. Reuven Rosenberg of the Integrative Health Center. I interviewed Dr. Rosenberg. Go take a listen. It's episode 37. Dr. Rosenberg is a chiropractor who looks at health problems from a holistic approach. He's all about diagnosing problems by looking at your lifestyle, health habits, exercise routine, and nutrition. Oh, did I mention that Dr. Rosenberg is a certified clinical nutritionist? Look, it's no good me just extolling the virtues of Dr. Rosenberg's caring nature and exceptional skills. Take a look at the long list of satisfied patients on his website, www.drrosenberg.net. There's P. Rand, who suffered shoulder pain as a result of sports injuries. He's now pain-free two years later, and it's all due to Dr. Rosenberg's treatment. Then there's B. Rubenstein, who says that Dr. Rosenberg's special skills enabled her to manage a very difficult pregnancy which otherwise would have rendered her unable to walk by the sixth month. That's just incredible. And here's one more. A patient called up saying that every bone in his body ached from stiffness. Could Dr. Rosenberg please help? Dr. Rosenberg saw this patient and immediately diagnosed that the patient's situation was due to a combination of poor health choices, stress, and bad posture. After only a few sessions and some encouraging pep talks, the patient was feeling remarkably better. Better than he had felt for several months. I should know, because that patient was me. Yes, I can personally recommend Dr. Rosenberg as a chiropractor who really knows his stuff and cares deeply for his patients. So if you have health issues that range from spinal to pregnancy, from metabolic to gastro to autoimmune 
to inflammatory problems, get in touch with Dr. Rosenberg, a doctor whose professionalism and expertise is second to none. And you can take it from me, from my own experience. I'm excited to personally recommend him. Learn more about the Integrative Health Center at www.drrosenberg.net. That's www.drrosenberg.net. Or you can contact Dr. Rosenberg at info at drrosenberg.net or call him on 058-432-5849 for a free one-hour consultation. And tell Dr. Rosenberg I say hello. And now, one for your laundry. An article that interestingly appeared in realestate.com.au introduced a tiny gadget that cleans your clothes using sound waves. Wait, what? Sound waves? I just had to flip this story into my online Flipboard magazine. Everyone needs one of these. Here's what the article says. Underwater, the ultrasounds generate pressurized bubbles that force out dirt, grime and oils at the microscopic level, offering a deeper clean than a regular washing cycle. You can even use this gadget to clean fruit, vegetables and anything that could be submerged in water. The device is about the size of a small handheld flashlight. It generates 50,000 ultrasonic vibrations per second, but it's super quiet. So yelling at your laundry to clean itself might not actually work, but this little gadget will. Check out my online magazine Everyone Needs One of These for new, interesting and innovative products on Flipboard, a free app that you can download for your iPhone or Android device. Or you can go to www.ycarp.com magazine to flip through it on your desktop or laptop. Go to www.ycarp.com to see some resources that I used for this week's podcast episode. New episodes of this podcast are published almost every week. Subscribe to Why Carp Why Not on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please rate and share. It helps people to find the podcast so they can enjoy it too. For comments, feedback, for sponsorship opportunities and to submit ideas, contact me at whynot at whycarp.com. That's W-H-Y-N-O-T at Y-K-A-R-P.com or find me on Facebook or Twitter. Intro and outro music by bensound.com and Arokia. You've been listening to Why Carp Why Not? I'm Yossi Carp. Thanks for listening. <laughs>